This is the Practical Teaching Tips Podcast. I am your host, Richard James Rogers, high school science and chemistry teacher and author of the award-winning book, The Quick Guide to Classroom Management. Hello everybody and welcome to today's episode of the Practical Teaching Tips podcast. Check out my blog for teachers which contains hundreds of articles covering a wide variety of topics at richardjamesrogers.com. Have you ever heard of the phrase accelerated learning? It's something that hasn't really been in the forefront of pedagogical thought for, uh, for around about five, six years. Uh, we focused more recently in educational circles on things like um, edtech application, remote teaching, cognitive load theory, and um, a range of different topics to do with metacognition as well. Well, accelerated learning was something that was um, kind of in the in the forefront of educational thought when I um, got my PGCE back in two thousand and six. So it's it's a rather um, not really antiquated, but it's a it's a legacy um, it's a legacy way of thinking of teaching. Um, and what accelerated learning refers to are a series of simple techniques that any teacher can incorporate into any lesson to ensure that a maximum amount of learning takes place. So the way I like to think about accelerated learning is making the best use of the time you have with students and making sure that a one-hour lesson provides as much deep learning as it possibly can. And it works on the premise that the time we spend in class must be very efficiently used. And that implies that good lesson planning forms the foundational framework of accelerated learning. Now, today, I want to go through um, five simple but very highly effective techniques that anyone, any teacher can use to accelerate the learning that happens in classes. And a number of these things I'm going to tell you now have been renamed and rebranded in recent years. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about that as we go through. But even though these, these techniques are well established in education and they've been around for a long time, they are, they are no less um, important than they were um, 14, 15 years ago when I graduated as a teacher. Uh, well, in fact, it was about 16 years ago now. Okay, so technique number one, practice and application. Now, oftentimes, um, these days, we call this retrieval practice. But basically, what it means is that a lecture to students or a talk is usually not enough to make content stick. It's usually not enough to just lecture students for 30 minutes or an hour and expect the information to stay in the students' heads for a long time. Students need to actually know how to use the information you've taught them in order to understand it. 
So in short, what this means is that students need to complete lots of questions or tasks on the content and crucially, very crucially, receive feedback on their work. Most school textbooks have um, cottoned on to this uh, by providing lots of questions within the pages themselves. And often you'll see in school textbooks end of chapter questions as well as in chapter questions. And sometimes you'll see exam style questions as well. Oftentimes, however, this is still not enough and we should look into extra ways to supplement these in-text questions with workbooks, past paper questions, worksheets, puzzles, games, etc. As many ways as we can think of and we can to um, get the students practicing the skills and knowledge and understanding they've learnt in class and and questions and activities that get the students to apply what they've learned and remember and I guess regurgitate in some cases what they've learned as well. For me personally, on top of creating and keeping my own resources um, on, a, on a USB drive, a very big USB drive I have, um, and then keeping those year on year and adding to that, um, I personally source extra materials from a wide variety of places. So workbooks I mentioned before are just brilliant. Um, Let's, CGP and Barron's provide amazing workbooks which can go alongside many American and British school courses. Um, and they're usually filled with loads of questions the students can complete with model answers um, at the at the end of the books as well um, and that's what students need they, they they need the model answers to the questions um, not just the questions themselves and then number two past paper questions now these are really the best resource for students to use when practicing the content they've learned but they can be problematic if we use them too soon because students have to actually have learnt the information that's needed to complete the questions before they do the questions. So how do we incorporate past paper questions? Well, what I like to do is I like to teach a certain um, area of content or knowledge or understanding or skills. I'm a chemistry teacher, by the way, so I might give a 15-minute, 20-minute, 30-minute um, lecture, I guess, on a certain area of chemistry, or we might do an experiment, a practical activity, etc. And when I've taught the students the exact information they need to complete a certain past paper question, I will expose those students to those past paper questions as soon as possible and where possible immediately after they've learned a particular piece of content. Because by doing that past paper question, they're getting immediate practice on what they've just learned and that's going to help the student remember the information for a long, long time. So for example, if I have just taught um, my year 10 students about acids and alkalis, let's say, and I've taught them about the pH scale, you know, and a, and a general introduction to that would take about 30 minutes. Well, I could source a past paper question that only covers what I've taught in those 30 minutes and then immediately give that 
to my students straight after I've taught them the content that I wanted them to know. And by the way, when I mentioned teaching students um, via a lecture for 30 minutes or um, a skills-based lesson like an experiment or something like that, of course, those are not the only ways. I mean, you might get your students to do research. You might get your students to, um, to do online simulations or to use educational software to learn certain, um, certain concepts, skills, and knowledge. And all of that's fine as well, but the practice using those past exam paper questions within the lesson time itself can be a great way to accelerate the learning process, to get students using what they've learned. And really, that is probably the key phrase that summarizes accelerated learning. It's using what you've learned and in a timely manner as well, using what you've learned as quickly as possible, as soon as you've learned it. Number three, and a third way of um, getting the students to practice and apply what they've learned, is of course to use worksheets, puzzles and games. And there's lots of places where you can find these on the internet. You can find them at the Times Educational Supplement. I've got a shop on there for science, mathematics and German language. Um, I'll put the link in the um, description of this of this episode. But there's lots of other places. There's UK EdChat and so many Google sites and um, and uh, wikis and just sites that people have compiled and teachers have made where you can download so many resources for free. Um, and you can even make a bit of money yourself. You can sell some resources you've made as well. Um, for example, on the Times Educational um, Supplement. You can also use educational games to help students um, practice what they've learned. And I like to use my personal choice of seven games, which are a bit tricky to describe in this episode because they involve students moving and doing things. Um, but I will put a link in this episode description to a blog post I've written um, showing you seven starter activities you can do with students and seven plenary activities, these learning games you can do. And you can use them really at any point in the lesson. Um, a good example I can describe uh, through, through audio format is if you write a list of keywords on your whiteboard or you project them on your smart board and you get one student stood on the left-hand side of the whiteboard um, and one student stood on the right-hand side, and you just give a question, and the answer is on the whiteboard, and you say, for example, um, acids have a pH lower than, and then you say one, two, three, and the student has to tap or splat, because the game is called splat, uh, splat the answer that's on the whiteboard. Um, <laughs> and uh, again, I mean, it's, it's easier, I think, for, for teachers to, to read my blog post on that and see the diagrams and pictures on there um, which show you how to do those games. So, like I say, the link is in the episode um, description, so please do check that out. Okay, so, so that's the first way in which we can accelerate learning, practice and application. And by practice, we can use workbooks, we can use past paper questions, we can use the questions within textbooks 
and we can use worksheets, puzzles and games. And it's very important that with all of these, we are giving the students timely feedback because there's no point giving students questions to do or puzzles or worksheets to do if the student never finds out what the correct answers are or, or never knows um, how well they've done on a piece of work. So that's absolutely crucial. Okay, number two, the second way we can accelerate learning is to break the content down into achievable goals and into bite-sized pieces. Now, I'm following really in the footsteps of Anthony Robbins here, and one of my favorite quotes of his is this, if it's believable, it's achievable. So I'll say that again, if it's believable, it's achievable. Our students need to know where they are going and how they are going to get there. So what we have to do as teachers is break down their roadmap into bite-sized goals along the way. And as always, I recommend one-to-one -one mentoring conversations with students for this purpose. Um, a few episodes ago, I described the story of a student I had who'd come to me in year 11 chemistry to study um, IGCSE chemistry. She'd never studied um, chemistry before and she was learning really advanced chemistry with me just simply because of the way the timetable worked. And she started the course with me really just not knowing anything about chemistry. And over a series of weeks and a few months, she finally got to get a grade A star in chemistry. That was her final grade in IGCSE chemistry. And she beat most of the students in the class actually. And the reason that happened was because we had a lot of one-to-one -one conversations along the way. And we broke her progression down into believable and achievable goals. So she, she got a grade U on her first test, which was very, very low. And her target for her next test was a grade E, which she achieved. And then her target for her next test was a grade D. And we just built it up in baby steps. And I constantly, along the way, reinforced with her and asked her, what is your target for your next test? How are you going to get there? So breaking goals down into believable and therefore achievable steps is so crucial for our students. And as teachers, we've also got to sincerely believe in what our students can achieve. Because if we don't believe and if we come across as fake, as though we're putting it on and we're not really sincere, our students can pick up on that. They're not stupid. Sometimes as teachers, we can fall into the, um, the mindset of thinking that because our students are so young, that they're maybe too naive to see the nuances in our conversations, but they do pick up on who we are and how we speak and whether we're being genuine or not. So it's very important we're genuine when we're formulating goals for students. So we have to break down their, progr their progression into a series of simple, believable stages or targets that they must achieve. Now, there are many ways we can do this. Um, level ladders can be very good, 
Progression charts can be very good. Tailor-made tables, which show the stages, can be very good. And those can be stuck into student notebooks so that they constantly have um, a reference guide. Um, we can use student self-assessment checklists regularly so that students can assess their own progress along the way. Um, and if you want to see an example of um, a level ladder um, that could be applied to any subject area really, then you can go to a blog post I've written which accompanies this episode today. And the link to that is in this episode description. But basically the students need to see where they are now and where they're going to and how to get there, the steps along the way. And those little steps need to be believable and achievable. And I think all too often as teachers, we encourage our students, but we do it in a way that is somewhat delusional. So for example, if we have a student who's achieved a grade D on a test, oftentimes as teachers, because we live in a culture, I think, where we strive to achieve things and we you know, there's there's so much um, success literature out there now and so many motivational speakers on the internet. And I think we all, as grown adults now, have this belief that if we work hard enough and we believe in ourselves, we can achieve anything. And as teachers, we're, we're, we're trying to um, embed that mindset in our students. But I think we often forget that there has to be believable and achievable steps along the way. And if we're saying to a grade D student, don't worry, work hard, you're going to get an A star very soon. On your next test, your target, I want you to get a grade B. You can do that. Well, if we're, if we're doing that, what we're, what we're actually doing is we're giving the students a goal that's not unrealistic, but it's, it's very difficult to achieve and it's very different to the to where they are now and often students can feel overwhelmed when they see that um, often students can give up along the way because the journey seems impossible and I think a lot of students know who they are and how they behave and they know what they're capable of to a certain extent although a lot of students really are amazed at what they can achieve when we push them but when we give a goal that's too high or too aspirational, at least in the initial stages of a student's journey, we can, um, we can provide them with something that's unattainable within that time frame. And of course, we want all of our students to get grade A stars and to get the top grades. Of course we do. But for some students, that is going to take considerable time. And we've got to break down the journey into believable and achievable steps. So that's so crucial. Okay, what's another way, the third way, that we can accelerate the learning process within our lessons? Well, we should use the Pareto principle, otherwise known as the 80-20 principle. Have you heard of it? It's, um, it's absolutely um, incredible when we use it to our advantage as teachers, and it's very, very useful. It's a golden rule, basically, that says that 80% of our results will come from 20% of our work. It's used widely in business, for example. So 80% of sales 
um, for example, come from 20% of marketing campaigns. And that's just one example. The Pareto principle can be applied to anything. So in English language, 20% of words make up 80% of written scripts. In music, 20% of chord progressions make up 80% of all pop songs. Accelerated learning requires us to focus on the vital 20% and avoid wasting time on the less vital 80% of the content and the task that we're, we're trying to teach our students. Now, as a chemistry teacher um, and I, of considerable experience and time, I know what the crucial 20% of information the students need to know is. They need to know how to do the chemical calculations and they need to know the way the periodic table is structured and why the group numbers are there, why the periods are there, what the atomic number means, what the atomic mass means, because really the, the, that's the vital in chemistry, that's the vital 20%. If you understand the calculations and the periodic table, everything else, or most of everything else, is just an extrapolation from that. And in most subjects, the, the Pareto principle applies. So try breaking down your subject into the vital 20% of skills and knowledge students will need and practice these regularly. To do that, you need to know what the 20% is <laughs> first, though. And um, if you're a newly qualified teacher and you don't have much experience in the field you're teaching, you might need to scour through all of your syllabuses and course guides and schemes of work and use your own knowledge and experience that you have and experimentation um, all together to figure out what the 20% is. It is easier, I will admit, to know what that 20% of essential skills and knowledge is when you do have more experience teaching a particular subject or, or being a teacher if you're if you're teaching everything like like primary school teachers do so apply the pareto principle to any subject area foreign language vocabulary cookery um, chemistry mathematics whatever it might be and your students are going to learn faster than ever um, when we do that and constantly reinforcing that. So, for example, when I'm when I'm teaching redox reactions in chemistry, I'm constantly referring back to the periodic table group number, uh, relative atomic mass. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, referring to the um, oxidation numbers and how that links to the electrons in the shells and things. So I'm I'm linking the more advanced content right back to the fundamentals, um, right back to the basics, the basic 20% from which the other 80% is derived. Okay, what's the fourth way in which we can accelerate learning? Well, this one is becoming more and more difficult as the years go by, but it is to block out distractions. Now, there are more distractions these days than ever with chat apps, with mobile devices. Um, we're living in a focus economy now. Um, I've forgotten what the author is of the book Homo Deus. I'll have to look him up. But um, I saw a talk that he gave on, um, well, it was, it was a YouTube video. I'm not sure where the talk was, but it was in some prestigious institution. And what he said was, we're living in a focus economy now. 
because the ability to be focused is what's going to be um, in a very high demand in the future because so many people are just losing their focus because we're just so distracted with um, all of the all of the technology that's around us and I once um, thinking about this going back a few years now I once gave a stern lecture to the entire final year cohort at a previous school and the reason was that I'd noticed that a lot of the students were getting very distracted by um, online chat, online gaming, playing on their smartphones and this was affecting their ability to revise properly at home and their ability to get good grades on tests. And some parents were actually complaining to the school that their children were not getting enough sleep because they were staying up too late chatting through Skype and uh, and with their friends. And this is going back a few years now. And by the way, I've, I've done a podcast episode about distractions and about um, how um, smartphone technology and screen time is actually destroying students' mental health. And that's um, episode number 18, if you want to listen to that. So it's, it's a big challenge that we face these days. So what do we have to do? Well, basically, it's really important that we educate our students on the dangers of distractions. Technology can be a real transformational tool in the learning process, but it can also be a very good procrastination tool. And I'm guilty of this, everybody. I sometimes fall into the trap of doing online gaming on my mobile phone when I'm bored, watching YouTube videos because I can't be bothered uh, recording an episode on this podcast sometimes, I'm ashamed to say. Um, falling behind on my blog schedule sometimes because I've wasted time doing stupid things that are meaningless on the internet. Um, and so this is a problem that adults deal with as well. Um, so we have to watch our students closely when they're using technology in the classroom. And we need to constantly create an atmosphere of urgency. Things must be done quickly and on time. And we have to remind our students of the time frame. How's that work coming on, John? Are you nearly finished? Where are you up to, Mary? How's that going? Which question are you on, Michael? You know, we've got to really just remind our students that they have to be on task. And I know nowadays as teachers, we are just so bogged down with paperwork and administration. And for that reason, we often find ourselves working on our computers as teachers in the classroom when the students are doing a task on their computers. And I understand why that happens. I do that myself um, often. It's, it's just inevitable. But we do have to have times within the lesson when we're walking around class looking at the students' screens and making sure they're actually doing the work that we're, we've told them to do and checking where they're up to. Um, it's very important we remember that distractions um, can cause a lot of procrastination, um, especially for our students, also for us as teachers, but especially for our students. And the fifth and final technique I will talk about today is... We must teach our students how to revise, not just what to revise, but how to revise. And it's not enough to leave this 
to the responsibility of the school counsellor or the homeroom teachers or the form teachers or the PSHE lessons or any external speakers that the school brings in to teach the students this stuff. We as subject teachers and as, as everyday teachers, we have also got to be regularly reminding our students about how to actually revise and where possible to use revision techniques within lessons. So, for example, in the lesson just before um, I give my students an end of topic test, we will often, if time allows, and often it does, um, we will do revision for that test. And I will give the students resources to make flashcards where they can um, create a bank of descriptions and keywords that they can revise from. Um, I'll encourage students to, to choose a revision technique. Some students like to record some audio of themselves um, talking through the notes so they can play that back later. Some students create a Google site as a summary of what they've learned. So we, we've got a duty, I think, as teachers to teach our students how to revise give students a choice of how to revise when we're doing revision in lessons and also to um, check on how that's going and provide students with a menu of techniques. Now, as teachers, we ourselves, we, we're not experts on this. Um, we like to think we are, but um, oftentimes, you know, there's, there's always more to learn. There's always more to learn about revision techniques and um, ways in which the brain works. I mean, even even I, as a, as this um, podcast creator, um, teaching for around sixteen years now, I don't know everything there is to know about revision techniques and how uh, how the brain works in terms of learning. So it is something we've got to constantly read up on. But there are some good articles out there and some good resources that teach revision techniques. And what I'll do today is I'll link to a Guardian article which um, gives you a good place to start when it comes to good revision techniques. And I'll link that in the episode description. So those are my five methods of accelerating learning within lessons, everybody. So just one more time to recap. Technique number one is practice and application. Nowadays, we call this retrieval practice. I think that's a very posh and unnecessary term to describe doing exam style questions and going through them. That's all it is. That's what retrieval practice is. And oftentimes this annoys me about the teaching profession and these so-called experts in these ivory towers, uh, for example, um, IOE in London and all these top universities, these experts who aren't actually in the classroom day to day, like teachers are, who come out with these posh phrases and actually all they're describing is what teachers have done for decades and, and probably longer than that. So the first technique is quite simply practice and application. Go through exam style questions, past paper questions, um, worksheets, puzzles, games that the students can do to recap what they've learned in class. And crucially, the timing of that is very important. So where possible, Give the students past paper questions immediately after they've learned the content needed to answer that question. Or it could be a worksheet question or um, 
or it could be a puzzle or an exam style question. But where possible, giving that immediately after the content has been learned can really help students to remember that content for a very long period of time. And I'm sure you know which quote I'm going to say now, because it's my favorite quote in the whole of education. And it is, memory is the residue of thought. One more time, memory is the residue of thought. And that's a quote from Daniel T. Willingham's book called Why Students Don't Like School. And that really underpins accelerated learning. We have to get our students thinking about what they've learned. And one of the best ways we can do that is to give the students um, practice questions and puzzles and worksheets and activities and things that test the knowledge and skills that they've just learned in the lesson. So they ha it has to be done in a timely manner, really. Okay, the second technique was to break content down and break the goals down of the students into achievable and believable steps. So I mentioned the example of a student I had who got a grade A star in chemistry and she got there because yes, she worked hard. Yes, um, she spent hours and hours revising for, for many, many uh, weeks before the final exams, but also because we had one-to-one -one conversations in which we broke down her learning journey into believable, achievable steps. She got a grade U on her first test. Her next target was not a grade A. Her I didn't say, well, this is not good enough. You've got to get a grade A on your next test. I mean, that is... Uh, that's just a foolish way to approach um, student mentoring. Baby steps is what we've got to go for. And we have to realize that some students take longer than others to get there. Some students take years to make the progress that some students um, make in six months. That's just the nature of human beings. That's the nature of reality. And that's why we have to have patience with our students as well. Number three, use the 80-20 principle, the Pareto principle. And what that means is 20% of your subject you're teaching or the subjects you're teaching is going to be the crucial information that everything else can be extrapolated from. Um, I gave some examples, 20% of words make up 80% of written scripts in English. Um, about 20% of the IGCSE content in chemistry is the most crucial content that really is the fundamentals upon which everything else is built. So you'll need to find out what that 20% is for your subject area. And that does get better with experience. It is easier to determine that the more experienced you are as a teacher. But it can be done with enough research if you're a newly qualified teacher as well. Technique number four, block out distractions. Constantly, well not constantly, but regularly ask your students, where are you up to? Which question are you up to? How's that work going? And walk around the class when the students are doing work look at what they're doing, check what they're doing, check their computer screens and create a sense or an atmosphere of urgency. Very important we do that. And technique number five, teach students how to revise, not just what to revise, but how to revise. And 
special sessions can be held for that. I was very lucky. I had this great German teacher when I was in school. And what she did was she gave up a lunchtime one day for students to just go to her room and learn how to create a revision timetable. Uh, just a simple thing, but it was it was really powerful and it really helped me to um, get great scores in my GCSE exams. And I think that revision timetable was was probably one of the most useful things I learned in, in the whole of high school um, in terms of preparing for exams. And, and it was all because a passionate teacher wanted to help. So we are powerful people, everybody. As teachers, we have a special responsibility to, to help the next generation. And we really, but truly believe me when I say this now, everybody, you might not believe it if, if you work in a school that's a bit rough or there's lots of disruptive students, or if you're a newly qualified teacher, you might not appreciate this yet. Um, and for those of whom I'm preaching to the converted, I apologize, but it's worth stating that our words and our actions and our passion as teachers can truly have life-changing, profound results with our students. I have seen this so many times now. I've, I've gone through the whole process with students. I've taught them. I've said goodbye to them when they've left school. And I've met them years later after they've graduated from university and they've become adults with families of their own and, and they're working or they're running businesses. And I've seen the whole process. And it, it's amazing what a few words of encouragement or some extra effort from a teacher can do in a student's life. Well, that's it from me today, everybody. I really hope that today's episode was useful for you. Um, if you want some amazing free material for teachers, go to my blog for teachers at richardjamesrogers.com. It's been there since 2015. I add a blog post every week, usually. And there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles and blog posts. Again, it's all free content that covers so many aspects of teaching and learning. Um, I'm just scrolling through my blog index for teachers now. There's subtle reinforcement techniques to gradually build confidence. There's three things that make a school outstanding. Eight ways to increase lesson clarity. Five efficient marking and assessment strategies. Um, five effective teacher behaviors. Uh, using movement and action to enhance learning. There's hundreds of articles like that at my blog for teachers and it's a totally free resource and it always will be so please go there and check that out there's there's so much help on there and also if you're interested in supporting my work why not purchase um, some really good books that I've written one of which is actually an award-winning book it's called The Quick Guide to Classroom Management 45 Secrets That All High School Teachers Need to Know. And it's actually won the Reader's Favourite Bronze Medal for nonfiction. So it's, it's a, it's a well-established book. It's been um, given the stamp of approval. It's also um, achieved a 9.5 out of 10 review on UK EdChat. And it's just a great little book filled with those fundamental strategies that teachers need to really be successful with their students. It's the essential 20%, basically. It's the Pareto principle. 
encapsulated in a book. It's the 20% that all teachers need to supercharge themselves in the classroom and to have the highest impact possible. Shameless plug there from me, I know, but um, I wanted to let you know, uh, let you guys know about those um, those resources. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for getting this far. Take care, stay safe, enjoy teaching, and until next time, bye-bye for now.